Well, hello everyone. This is Michael Bennett. I'm one of the worship directors here at the Fellowship Church. Thank y'all so much for tuning in uh, as we're going through this book, The Reset by Jeremy Riddle. Such a powerful book, such a timely book uh, for the times we live in. And today we're going to be discussing chapter two, The Power of Purity. Just a friendly reminder, if you haven't listened to the first chapter, please go back, listen to it. This book definitely builds on top of one another as the chapters go on to paint the whole picture of what it means to have a wholehearted reset and devotion and heart of worship to the Lord. So be sure to tune in to chapter one and the coming chapters ahead. So a couple goals in mind, you know, as we're going to go through this chapter very briefly, uh, as I was praying through this chapter and thinking about, you know, purity and the power it carries, you know, I was really praying that one, it would encourage us in knowing that God is not looking for the fanciest or flashiest, most wow factor or most talented worship leader or musician. He's after our genuine love and sincere affection toward him. My mind is brought to the story of the prophet Samuel. You know, he's looking to anoint the next king of Israel and God directs him to Jesse's sons. And, you know, we all know the story. You know, he goes through all of his sons and David's not there. And David's actually out, you know, with the sheep. And so then they go get David and David is then anointed the next king. And it's very interesting because David was not the most impressive looking, right? And he was the youngest and, you know, um, the not impressive in appearance by any means. But Samuel said something very profound. He said, you know, man looks at the outward appearance, but God looks at the heart. So that's an important thing I want to highlight for us. But then also I pray that this chapter will convict us to also look inward and invite the Lord into our hearts, just like King David did. You know, he wrote in Psalm 139, 23, search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts and see if there's any grievous way in me and lead me in your way everlasting. I want to highlight some quotes in this chapter. Uh, this is right off the first page, uh, page 11 says, something can only be as powerful as it is pure. Some would argue that love is the greatest power, but even love will only be as powerful as it is pure. Purity may not be the fanciest thing or the coolest, but when purity comes onto the scene, it arrests the room. It strikes the deepest chord. Purity has such a mystifying power to it. If you think about it, purity isn't forceful. In fact, there's no striving in it. It's powerful simply because it is. Wow. Another quote, a well-guarded heart is the key to life. So how do we guard our heart of worship with all vigilance? We never let worship become about anything other than Jesus. The most sobering thought any worship leader could ever have is that the arch nemesis of God might have been one of us before he fell. Powerful statement uh, referencing back to Lucifer, who was the first worship leader in heaven. If it could happen to him, it could have happened to any of us, right? So it's so important that we guard our purity when it comes to worship. And then last quote I want to share. This is summarizing uh, about the woman with the costly perfume. You know, she goes uh, before Jesus, she falls at his feet. She empties the alabaster jar 
uh, of expensive oil and she's washing his feet with it and her tears and her hair, just such a powerful scene. And so Jeremy's, uh, what he wrote in this book about this scene, you know, from scripture is know this, the next time you witness a scene where the whole room is made uncomfortable or offended by someone's over the top response in worship, there's a good chance God felt loved by it. Wow. That is super powerful, super convicting. Um, you know, I look back, so I'm reading this chapter. I look back just on my own journey with worship, worship leading ministry. And, you know, I think all of us, when we, when we give our lives to the Lord, it's, it starts pretty pure. You know, all we know is just the gospel, right? Like God so loved us. He gives one only son and whoever believes in him will not perish, but have everlasting life. And so we, we want to give our lives over to him because he gave his life for us. And that kind of is where it starts. You know, we respond to his love by loving him because he first loved us. And, uh, you know, that's where we're at. But then as we start walking with the Lord, it can almost become a little diluted. If we're not careful, we can get comfortable. We can get complacent. And, you know, someone once told me, you know, complacency or comfortability always turns into complacency. And if we're not careful, that could very easily become compromise. And so I know that there's been areas in my life, uh, in my journey with the Lord, where the purity of worship has definitely become compromised. And I've had to repent time and time again, sometimes daily, you know, sometimes hourly, uh, when it comes to motive, when it comes to ambitions, um, you know, James says, wherever envy, strife, and selfish ambition are, every wicked thing is there. And, uh, you know, way to rip off the Band-Aid, right? Um, Apostle James, thanks for that. But it's such a powerful statement, such a such a powerful, convicting statement. And if we're not careful, you know, uh, our motives are always going to reveal what we're devoted to and what we're driven by. Uh, it's so important that we we make this practical. We don't just read this book and it's, it's just information and more content that we're consuming. But we're making it practical and we're asking ourselves, you know, is, is what I'm doing for God more important to me than loving him for who he is? You know, is what I'm doing for God, what I'm doing for God more important to me than loving him for who he is? You know, it says in Psalms that God does not rejoice and, and desire after our sacrifices, but he desires a broken and contrite heart, you know, a heart that is just laid bare before him. You know, I remember hearing someone pray one time, uh, you know, before they were about to preach, they said every day, you know, they, they're praying this prayer and they're saying, before I, I preach, I want to pray this prayer, but I pray this prayer and I try to every day, you know, God, would you fillet my heart with your word? You know, me just cut open my heart and just remove anything that's not pleasing to you and put in what is pleasing to you. You know, may you just completely consume my life. You know, God is an all-consuming fire. Um, also, practically, you know, are are we worshiping God because of what he can do for us, or are we worshiping him because of who he is and what he's already done to save us? You know, he's done so much. He doesn't owe us anything. And sometimes I think we can view worship as a very transactional thing, like, oh, I'll sing to you, God, so I can get a response from you to do something. But really, it's quite the opposite. You know, God has done so much for us, right? 
that Romans 12 says, in response to God's amazing and tender mercies, we actually are to respond in worship as living sacrifices to him. This is our reasonable act of worship. Uh, Is love driving our worship? You know, are we worshiping God because we love him and we recognize his love for us? Or are we worshiping him to get something, you know, kind of going back to the point we just talked about, you know, it's not transactional. Um, And a last kind of practical question to ask ourselves that I'd love for us to think about, you know, is there anything in our life that breaks his heart? Is there any uh, area of our lives that are pleasing to his heart? You know, sometimes we just focus on one or the other and uh, it's important to ask both, you know, Um, we don't want to get so uh, discouraged, you know, like God, what breaks your heart? And then we never ask him, well, Lord, but what is an area of my life that is pleasing you? You know, I think it's important to ask both. If It will be very unbalanced uh, in our relationship with him if and have a very skewed view of him uh, if we don't ask ourselves both questions. And so uh, we want, obviously, by the grace of his Holy Spirit to be able to uh, have more on the side of pleasing him, right? Uh, but we'll never be able to see what's pleasing him if we don't know what's also breaking his heart. And so, so important to look at that. And you know, uh, we want to make this also very uh, preeminent. Uh, you know, we're uh, in a day and age where uh, there's so much content that we can consume and there's so many different opinions out there. And, uh, you know, at the end of the day, we want to uh, test everything according to his word. Um, we don't just want to test outside sources like books, like this book or other things against his word, but we want to test every day our hearts to his word. You know, there's content in our hearts. And at the end of the day, you know, we're all broken. We all fall short of God's standards. And purity is such a heavy subject and it hits right to the core of all of us. You know, uh, we're never going to be too pure or so pure that we are exempt from pride or selfish ambitions, temptations. And the reality is that we will all give account before the Lord, not just for what we did, but more importantly, why we did the things we did in his name. Uh, Matthew 7, uh, Jesus shares, you know, on the Sermon of the Mount, you know, there's going to be those who come to him that day and they say, Lord, Lord, didn't we cast out demons in your name and heal the sick and preach the gospel and perform many miracles in your name? And he's going to go to him, go to um, respond to those people and say, away from me, you who practice lawlessness, I never knew you. Uh, man, may that not be so with us. You know, we can do so many things and we can get so caught up in the services. You know, Sunday's always around the corner. There's always going to be Sunday services coming up. And uh, may it not be that we're so caught up in what we're doing for God that we miss him in the process, you know, and why we're doing what we do. When we're getting on stage, it's not about having the best tone and hitting all the right notes. Uh, although we definitely want to give our best uh, to him, right? We want to do everything with excellence and do it all to the glory of God, but we don't want to miss him in the process. We don't want to get so caught up in what we're doing that we miss who he is. Um, any breath could be our last, you know, and we want every breath that he gives us to be poured back out to him in wholehearted worship. You know, every gift is from him and the air in our lungs is no exception, right? (laughs) And so uh, we can go ahead and we'll wrap this thing up, but I just want to leave some closing thoughts. You know, we are the clay, he is the potter. And his goal 
as the potter is to create a masterpiece that's pure. And, uh, you know, in that time, like when potter in biblical times, when potters were making, uh, different pottery, you know, purity, if you look at the word, it's, it's almost referenced in like that kind of like vernacular of like pottery. And another way to put purity would be without wax. You know, at that time in biblical times, when they're making pottery, um, sometimes you would have certain people who would kind of cut corners with the pottery they were making. And instead of melting, or I don't know if it was melting, whatever they got to do to get back broken pieces of pottery to their uh, original state so they can, you know, mold them and reshape them into a new vessel uh, under the potter's, you know, hands and direction, sometimes they would try to cut corners. Some people would, and they would basically put pieces of wax, like put the pieces of pari together and put pieces of wax in between them and kind of fuse them together. So it would be kind of like this mixture of like clay and wax. And then they paint over it and, you know, do their thing. So it looked like a pure vessel, but if you were to melt it down or if you were to knock it over, it wouldn't be as strong, stable. Uh, and it also would have, it would contain wax. And so it wasn't a pure vessel. It was not without wax. Um, and another thing too, is there would always be like little, uh, air cracks or something. Uh, so it might leak. And so that's how they would be able to tell, oh, this was a cheap piece of pottery, or this was a priceless piece of pottery. And, um, you know, may the Lord by his grace, uh, by his mercy, mold us into pure vessels for him that would be pure, that would be without wax, that wouldn't be superficial, that wouldn't be surface level, but would really be genuine, really be authentic, really be pure and love him and his presence above everything else. And so, Lord, we come to you right now, God, as we talk about such a such a important subject, but a heavy subject. God, we pray that, Lord, you would convict and encourage us. God, highlight the areas of our lives that are not in alignment with you. God, may we not just offer you lip service of, of praising you with our lips, but denying you in our hearts. May that never be so with us, God. But may we be a people who are so in love with you because of all you've done, God, at the cross and the resurrection, uh, so selflessly for us, God, that we would worship you from a place of true, genuine love and passion for you, God. And Lord, remove anything in our lives that would hinder us being a pure vessel. Lord, we love you. And as we study this book more, God, would you speak to us and make us more like you? In Jesus' name, amen.